The right habits put you in control of your health, relationships, mindset, and more. But most people lack the tools to stick with those habits long enough to see results. That is about to change. Welcome to the Unshakable Habits Podcast with your host, habit change specialist and speaker, Stephen Box. Join us each week as experts share their stories, experiences, and insights and give you the tools to build unshakable habits so you can live life on your terms. It's time to take your habits from unsustainable to unshakable. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Habits Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Box. And today I am joined by Lily Walford from Love with Intelligence. So, Lily, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Now, you have this really interesting approach to dating that we're going to talk about today. And I know that because your approach is so unique, there is a really cool story behind it as well. So we're also going to dive into that. But before we do, I want to just quickly remind the audience about our Unshakable Habits Framework, because that's the context of which we want to look at your story through so that the audience can then take your story and apply it back to their own life. So it's a three-part process. The first is you need a vision. Visions are different than goals. Goals are always about a specific outcome. Visions are about behaviors because they're about who we actually want to become, what we want our life to look like. Now, in order to make that vision come true, you're going to need to develop some skills, and that is the second part of the framework. Now, some of those skills you might already have might just be a matter of learning to utilize them better. Some you might have to create. And if you have to create them, then that goes to step three, which is all about taking regular, repeated actions to build those skills and make them a reality. So, Lily, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about this approach that you have to dating? Because it really is unique. Yeah, so... Cut a long story short, the way that we work at Love with Intelligence is we use a military-grade psychology in order to help people to read people so that they're able to make an informed decision on the partners that they meet and they're able to have a compatible relationship that lasts. So through this approach, we can profile someone within six minutes or less and also read someone's body language better than a polygraph machine so we can see if someone's telling the truth or telling a lie. So this way you can create relationships from the truth. Now, I was looking on your website and you talk about how you really wanted to give people something that wasn't all about the, the mind games and mm. the manipulation that a lot of the dating sites are really about. and you just kind of hit on that a little bit at talking about you want to give people a way to identify, you know, what's actually happening, the truth. One of the yes. things that was interesting to me in there was how you talked about how by being able to read people and profile them and, and actually realize, is this person being honest? Are they being authentic with you? It allows you to build trust actually faster than the old fashioned way of dating. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think this is so important because when we go into dating, um, uh, we want to put the, you know, 
We want to make the best first impression possible. So what we end up having is almost like this person who's wearing this mask of the best impression. We've got this person wearing this mask and these two masks are interacting versus the two people behind them. So a big part of this process is allowing people to remove the mask so they're actually interacting from who they are with the person that, um, uh, you know, the other person is. So it allows you to build that authentic and genuine connection really quickly versus, you know, if we've all seen those things of say these 10 things to make them fall in love with you or don't text them back straight away and all these awful strategies that are actually there that break down true, genuine and honest connection. Yes, you you coming from this particular background, me coming from the health industry, we both know all about <laughs> bad tactics. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah, people wonder why they don't work. <laughs> I don't understand why I can't lose weight and why I can't be happy in a relationship. I just don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, from trying to survive on 50 uh, calories and saying the script constantly of, yeah. <laughs> I think I actually read this one on like, um, I think it was on YouTube. I always get curious when I see these ads. And it was like, oh, this, you know, um, all guys need to hear this one thing to make them fall in love with you. And I was like, oh, go on, I'll bite what's the saying. And it was something really gimmicky. Like, I believe in you. I'm thinking, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Like I can't imagine people on a date just turning around and going, I believe in you, and then instantly they fall in love and that's it, happily ever after. Thinking, oh, wow, yeah, something needs to shift, something needs to change for um, the dating industry. <laughs> Did someone like pull that out of a Hallmark Christmas movie or something? I mean, right, it is, it's exactly that, isn't it? You can imagine that sort of cringy like scene at the end, I believe in you, and they live happily ever after. But, you know. I just I just defended like everybody out there who watches Hallmark Christmas movies. Like, they're just they turn the podcast off now. They're done with me. So <laughs> oh, you never know. Could have actually just you know written the new Hallmark movie for Christmas. We're nearly at Christmas now, aren't we? <laughs> so. Yeah, you know. So who knows, right? Who knows? <laughs> oh, Sam. So I have to know what. What happened? Like, what is your story that led you to this? Because most people that I, I've talked to, and, and I've actually interviewed several people who are relationship experts, they've had some kind of, you know, trauma or they've had some bad relationship they've gone through. But you're the first person that has, like, gone out and said, you know what, I'm going to learn military grade <laughs> <laughs> stuff here to actually learn how to get this right so what what is your story that actually led to you getting there yeah do you know what the funny thing is I didn't quite grow up saying okay you know when I grow up I'm going to become this military grade <laughs> a psychology expert in relationship and dating so back when um uh, gosh, probably 10 years ago now, I actually found myself in a very highly narcissistic, borderline psychopathic relationship. And um, uh, this guy was a police officer and gosh, this just, this relationship was just horrendous. I found out I was cheated on. There was all these different things like being berated. It almost got physically violent. After that relationship ended, I was stalked for five years and uh, 
after the girlfriends that he met after me, he would take all three of them down, like obviously separately, um, travel 150 miles to recreate the pictures that we had taken together uh, in that when we were um, in our relationship. So quite an intense relationship, <laughs> just to say the least. Um, and it got me thinking, you know, like, what is it that creates something that's actually healthy? What creates a healthy, loving relationship that lasts? And from that relationship, I ended up going like normal people do into another, you know, narcissistic or toxic relationship. And this pattern just kept on playing out. And I thought at uh, one stage that I cracked the code. I was in a, I thought I was in a fantastic relationship, lived in a, in a beautiful, you know, four bedroom detached home in a beautiful part of the city in England, um, two brand new Mercedes on the drive. We both worked in corporate as well. So he was a sales director. Um, I was a group accountant for a, a Fortune 500 company. So we were doing really, really well. And uh, within one weekend, though, got that awful text as I was coming home from work saying we need to talk so I was like oh gosh so within one weekend that was it it was job gone it was relationship gone had to move house kept the car which was great but <laughs> it got me thinking okay what is it again you know that creates a healthy loving relationship so I went on a bit of a soul searching journey and within one year I became an NLP master practitioner trainer, a hypnotherapist, a life coach, a public speaker, started up a business all whilst I was working full time. I did all that within one year and uh, I think it got to the end of that year and um, I was still single. I was dating and my dating life was still absolutely freaking awful. You know, even after all this hard work on self-love and confidence and all these different things. And uh, I was still attracting people who weren't right for whatever reason. And it got to this point where I was on a dating site and I'd messaged this person a couple of times. And you kind of get that vibe where it's like, oh, yeah, this is not going to work. So you kind of end the conversation politely. And uh, the next day, they start messaging me again. I thought, okay, I'm not going to bother messaging them. You know, it's not polite to leave them on. I've already said goodbye or whatever it might be. And the following day after that, I suddenly got 12 pink roses delivered to my house. Now, this person only had my first name and my profile picture. And they had somehow, just from that information, found my address. Now, as I said before, I was previously stalked for five years. So when this happened, I completely freaked out and was thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be stalked for another five years. This person knows where I live. Um, this is not a good situation to be in. And self-worth and self-confidence isn't going to save me in this scenario. And uh, back during that time, one of my friends was doing some work with a guy called Chase Hughes. Now, Chase He's a world leader in behavioral profiling. He's got $30 million worth of government-backed research. So he trained, um, trained military operatives, about 2,500 military operatives, to like a Jason Bourne, um, James Bond, that kind of level. So I sent a load of these screenshots, you know, of the profile, of the messages. So they got a real good feel of like what was actually happening, what this person, you know, who this person was and all these different things. And within a few moments, I got a message back from, uh, from Chase and, and my friend who was a trainer for Chase. 
um, with basically a list of steps of how to get this person to stop wanting to stalk me and send me stuff and contact me. And I was amazed because through that, I didn't have to be rude. I was polite. Um, I didn't have to be nasty or anything like that. And within a few messages, this person completely left me alone. And uh, it made me realize, like, oh, my gosh, I need this for my clients. I need this. I need to know this in order to keep people safe. So I ended up going on a course with um, with Chase and um, it was incredible. We learned how to profile people within six minutes or less. We learned body language. We learned how to um, really connect with someone, get someone to really show their true self. And it was all these amazing things that um, that I was just completely blown away by. And at the end of the course, I ended up speaking to Chase and we ended up partnering up in business. So we actually could bring in all this um, military grade psychology into love with intelligence. So we could teach people how to profile, teach them, you know, teach them how to learn how to read body language so they could actually meet someone and see the truth straight away. And you know, fast forward two years, you know, we we are now seeing people enter relationships within three months of working together, which is just freaking amazing. So people who've been in previously narcissistic relationships going into loving relationships and building them up. We've um, created a narcissist course, so identifying and disarming narcissist course. And we've helped people go through divorces, protect their children, all these different things from being able to um, share this information um, with people to help them deal with these dangerous personality types and also how to heal and also this information to help people meet the one. So it's been quite a journey. (laughs) I I have to say that actually sounds like really scary. I I can only imagine what that would be like to like, this person, like you said, literally just has your first name, not even your last name, just your first name and exactly. a profile picture. And they're able to find out your address, you know, and especially having gone through that situation before, I, I can definitely imagine just how bad that must have been and why that would have promoted you to say, you know what, let me go and learn this stuff and, you know, figure out what to do here. So, yeah, yeah, because it was, it was interesting because when you're dealing you know it's it's one of those we end up doing more for other people you know we we always do more for other people than we do for ourselves and for me it was like okay this is a scary situation to be in for myself you know it's not nice suddenly getting someone stalking me or sending stuff to my house but it did really make me think of okay what would I do if my clients went through that And for me, it felt wrong to be able to work with people without knowing how to protect them in those scenarios. Because, you know, when you've got someone who knows, um, you know, addresses and things like that, it becomes something so much more dangerous. And I know with those type of personalities in particular, the worst thing that you can do is block them. And the reason is, is because it creates this game. It creates this cat and mouse game of, okay, I can't contact you on here. I'm going to go on Facebook and find you. I'm going to go on, um, you know, find you on email or whatever it might be, um, just to prove that they've still got power in order to be able to contact you or connect with you. Yeah, and that's, you know, what most people's first instinct would actually be is to just block them, right? Just like, oh, let me just block them and get rid of them. 
but yeah. you're you're not going to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> not through that way. I, re- I remember even having a work colleague who um, oh, it was proper creepy. He was in his fifties, and I was right in my very young twenties. And um, I had my work number, and he suddenly left the company. Goodness. <laughs> and um, tried to message me on my work phone. Sorry, on my personal phone. So I blocked that number. Um, then he tried to message me on LinkedIn. Go, I saw that you had blocked my number. So I had to block him on LinkedIn. And then, I mean, it's way before I learned all the behavioral profiling stuff. And then, I don't know if you remember or um, whether you've got an Android phone or an Apple phone, but on Android, there was this health app called Google S or something, S Health or something like that. And it used to count steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, suddenly I get this message come through on that saying, oh, um, uh, so-and-so, I won't give the name, so-and-so has decided to challenge you to 10,000 steps. So it was even going down to the microscopic levels of trying to reach someone just because they can. <laughs> it, it, it's like, dude, at some point, take the hint, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, but the beauty is like with these, with these personality types, so this is very narcissistic behavior. Yeah. And the thing is that most people don't understand with true narcissists because narcissists become such a buzzword within the dating relationship community. But it's a true narcissist. The empathy part of the brain is actually underdeveloped. Yeah. So asking them to feel is almost asking them to like a fish to walk or something like that. Yeah. They end up seeing people as resources, like a pen. Like, oh, how do I use this pen? Or how do I use a calculator? Or how do I use this phone? Yeah. Because they don't fully connect with the person. It's like, right. okay, what can I get out of this person? How can I benefit from this person? Whether it's, um, you know, a person who's got a higher status than them or someone who looks good on their arm or whether this is someone who's good at giving them compliments or whether it's someone who's good at, um, you know, doing chores or whatever it might be. And they'll learn how to use that person in a way that benefits them. And and I would assume that a lot of what you teach people is in learning to read those situations, you can tell if that's the kind of person that you're dealing with very quickly and know whether to get away from that situation before they really have a chance to latch on to you. Yeah. Yeah. So we deal with a few different scenarios in, in um with our training. So there's obviously that one where you can identify and quickly get out and get away from that person. Or if you're in a situation where you've had a child with a narcissist or you're divorcing a narcissist or you've got a family member that's a narcissist, suddenly it's not like, oh, I can block you and I can get away from you and I can completely ignore you. We actually teach people how to um, communicate with those types of people in a safe way because, um, Saying no to a narcissist is nearly impossible if you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) So speaking of that, and we're going to jump back into your story here in a second, but I know at the end of the interview here, we're going to have a giveaway for people. um, And you're going to talk to people about how to find that one. But that also is going to include seven red flags that you need to be looking out for. So I'm going to have you maybe give us a couple of those at the end. So people have to they have awesome. to now stick in for the entire interview just so they can hear that. <laughs> and they're juicy, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's me shamelessly using manipulation to get people to stick around to the end of the interview. <laughs> 
Although is it really manipulation if you tell people that's what it is? (laughs) (laughs) It's always the intention of the manipulation. It's for their own good, so it's okay. (laughs) Your own good. You need to hear the entire interview. Stick around. Ethical manipulation. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Just make it sound better. I like it. <laughs> so, Lily, you you kind of hit us like with this really like shortened version of your story. So, I want to kind of dive into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you get this phone call like, "Hey, we need to talk," and then all of a sudden, it's like, "All right, now you're broken up. You've lost everything, but you at least got to keep the car, right?" And uh-huh. And then you, and then you kind of dedicated yourself to learning all these different things. And so I'm curious, was there a moment where you started to like blame yourself for these relationships or at some point, did you think they were the other person's fault? And so like, at what point did you kind of come around to saying like, you know what, I need to make some improvements in my life to avoid these situations. Yeah, great question. Um, I don't think I've ever been asked that before, but it's such an awesome question because the the truth is back then I I blamed those relationships. It's like, oh gosh, you know, I showed up, I was brilliant in those relationships and it's all their fault. And uh, it probably wasn't until um, I started sort of really diving into my journey and um gaining some some serious self-awareness but it's funny actually it's it's different for for the different relationships so the narcissistic relationship that I was first in that relationship when that ended I actually blamed a lot of myself I was actually wondering why wasn't I good enough um there was a time in that relationship where it was like I need to stay in this relationship to protect other people from going through what I've been going through in that relationship which is a very interesting mindset because um narcissistic relationships are very cult-like in the way that they can influence and change beliefs and also um chip away at your identity so you tend to find um people who go through narcissistic relationships they come out and they're like who am I? You know, I, I lost myself in that relationship. It's a genuine thing. You know, you um, come out of those relationships feeling like uh, you don't know what your emotions are. You, you can't make simple decisions. You're afraid to talk to people, trust people. It's quite messy. And then the, the relationship before I started going into the personal development um, realms. Yeah, I think a lot of that relationship, I really blamed um, uh, that ex-partner because I was I felt so angry and let down and I think that's the interesting part around relationships there's this trust aspect where we have these expectations of what our lives are going to be like and the expectations of that partner and yeah it was kind of like one of those things where it broke down so suddenly and unexpectedly like that morning we were talking about planning a holiday and then in the afternoon it's suddenly like a breakup it's like whoa but one of the things one of the most potent memories I had of that breakup was clearing out um you know you you do that horrible thing of getting your own stuff splitting all the stuff up and trying to pack and I remember sitting on the kitchen floor and just thinking like I just couldn't believe the amount of pain that I was in like I've never felt pain like it but it was that moment where it was almost like, I don't care 
how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to create this life that is absolutely freaking amazing. Even, you know, even though I don't know how to create it, this is what I promised myself that I'm going to go ahead and do. Um, you know, it's almost like if I'm going to leave this life that I thought was brilliant, I'm going to go ahead and make one that's even better. And <laughs> I think I just always have to pinch myself because if I told myself back then that I would be living this life and doing this kind of business and having the amazing relationship that I have now and, you know, living in an awesome place and, and all these different, you know, working with someone or partnering up in business with someone with $30 million worth of research, I wouldn't have believed myself at all. <laughs> like it would have just, it, it was just not on my radar. Um, but it was definitely a journey of actually understanding things like healthy relationships and what that actually is and how um, two individuals need to take accountability and responsibility for the collaboration part of that relationship to make it work. So the thing that's interesting, and going back to the framework to me, is we talk about that first step, which is vision, right? And you mm. really just hit on it there. Like you talked about how in that moment, sitting on the kitchen floor, you kind of had this vision for what you wanted life to look like. And something that's been so cool to me in all the interviews that I've done with people, and we when we start diving into their story, I see this over and over, that their original vision is usually so small compared to where they end up. But it's just getting that vision in place. I think sometimes people get so caught up on, I have to get this like perfect vision. I have to know every little step <laughs> along the way. No, don't. <laughs> the stars don't quite align the way that we want them to in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's set a vision, set a course, and start moving toward it, right? Like that's that's kind of what you did. Like you had this vision. You started just looking for ways to improve yourself mm. because you had this realization of, you know what? I played some part in this breakup and I need to look in the mirror and take care of the only thing I can control, which is me. I can't control the other person. So I have to control me. And so you yeah. took the step and you started improving, but even going through that, even taking these courses learning all these things, earning all these certifications and degrees or whatever is you still were having bad relationships. Mm. And that was tough. You know, I basically had a year where I absolutely killed myself through that year. Like, you know, in terms of like working a full-time job, launching a business, I also had an operate like um, keyhole surgery on my shoulder as well. It was freaking crazy. Like I was like sitting there with a sling trying to do my business of just like, you know, tapping on the keys. You know, I worked so bloody hard. And I remember, you know, getting to the end of that year and having one of those moments where it was like, what did I just do all this for? And it was probably like one of the hardest, hardest moments. You know, everyone thinks that personal development and going into your vision is this thing of like, oh, yeah, it just keeps going up and up and up. No, 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 no. We have the highs and we've got, we have the lows. And um, uh, I just remember that low thinking, oh, my gosh, is that is this all there is? Or have I just done all this for just this? Yeah. And, uh, oh, gosh, yeah. Like even something that played into that when I was doing my public speaking, 
<laughs> I was on on the public speaking course, and uh, I was telling I was telling the um, you know telling my story, and I was getting the feedback at the end. And um, usually, like you know, when you have um, professional speakers, they have the big problem and the bad story and all this, all these different things. And it's like at the end of this, it's like um, they turn around to me and said, "I'm I'm not getting the payoff." You know, you went all through this stuff. Like, give us the payoff. What's so amazing now? And I just remember thinking, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, where's where's my payoff? <laughs> I hadn't quite. Yeah, it was always like I was telling the story whilst I was still in it and I hadn't got to that amazing place where I am now you know which is in a fantastic relationship we live in a a beautiful barn conversion we've got a gorgeous collie we're out in the countryside it's just freaking and we're both self-employed we both support and help people and we have this yeah amazing connection we just love things like psychology and we just geek out on stuff all the time it's freaking fantastic and it was like, because I didn't quite have that and trying to tell my story from that kind of place, it just didn't, it just did not work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it can be difficult to tell people like your story when Ooh. the payoff is theoretical, right? Right. It was it's like, difficult. oh yeah, I'm a life coach and now everything's fine. Yay. It was like, yeah, I was just not at that place to say, you know. It wasn't to say that my life hadn't improved by that point. It definitely had, but it wasn't. It wasn't at the place where it needed to be to be that kind of like that inspiration. Like, look, I've managed to get to the place where I want to be now. Yeah, it was kind of like I was still caught up in the wind. <laughs> and you, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought this story because this is actually really common. I do professional speaking as well. And so I also hear this kind of feedback all the time. And the thing about it is in that environment, it's the expectation. It's Mm. what you're going to get told. But the reality is in bringing that back to life, I think sometimes we get too caught up in I have to have that big moment or I haven't made it. And it's so important to celebrate the, the progress, the process of it all. Yes, and I think this is the this is the thing, isn't it? It's like um, with personal development, it's not just about the the goal, the, you know, getting everything that you want. It's the journey of becoming, and I think that was something that I really needed to learn because, you know, one thing I totally forgot at the very beginning of my journey, I had horrendous um, social anxiety to the point where. <laughs> And this is cringy, um, thinking back, but to the point where um, when I went to go and greet the person who was like hosting the course, who was greeting everyone, giving everyone a main badge, and then the people were going into the room to go and get a chair. I had to do a, a walk a mile in London. I was a freaking mess, like literally full on anxiety, almost having this, um, you know, hyperventilating. And, you know, this person at the end of this um, hallway is trying to say hello to me and pass me a badge. I wasn't even in a place to be able to speak. I was be able to say, thank you. And that was it, just run off into the other room. By the end of the year, I was able to speak in a room full of people. I was able to help people. I was actually helping corporate executives at the end of that year to be able to do public speaking and improve um, presentations. You know, and it's like, 
I think sometimes we can be so ungrateful for our journeys and that level of um, becoming and owning that story in that way. Because the one thing I've noticed is society, friends, family, colleagues, they love the people to play it small. And there's this, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the crab pot metaphor or mentality. So perhaps. Basically. <laughs> I've, I've, I've probably heard the American version. <laughs> oh, you don't talk about crabs in America? Uh, we, we, we had the crabs in the barrel, which I'm going to assume is probably similar. Ah, I'll see we've got a barrel, we've got like a bowl or a bucket or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but basically you put, a, um, you put a crab in a bucket on its own or a bowl or whatever it might be, and it will climb straight out. You put two in. They will keep each other in the box. So they'll stop them. Yeah. You know, if one tries to climb out, it'll drag it back in. And that's exactly what people do in society. Like I remember um, saying, oh, I'm about to start a business. It's almost like you get this thing of like, oh, bless you. Well, I hope it goes well for you. And it's not uh-huh. genuine. It's not like, oh, that's fantastic. Or, you know, it's, there's no real belief behind it. And um, it's all these different things to be able to keep you back into society and keeping you playing it small because people know how to deal with you then. Yeah. If you suddenly grow or change or do people need to readapt on the way that they treat you because our identity di- dictates our standards and our expectations. And when we start playing with our standards and expectations, it changes our reality in our life, which then feeds back into our identity. So um, people have to relearn the way that they actually start to treat us and interact with us, which is really interesting. Yeah, I saw something actually on Facebook yesterday, and I don't completely agree with the idea because I think... Anytime you start talking in absolutes, there, there's a danger there because there's yes. always a, a time and place for things. But I like the overall idea of what it was expressing, which was the problem of putting other people first is that you teach them that you always come second. Ooh. And I think that kind of ties in real well with what you were just saying. Now, like I said, yeah. now there are times you should put other people first. There are times you should put people above you. So I don't like this absolute idea of you should never put anybody else first, but there's absolutely times you need to put yourself first and, but you should never teach other people put you second. Totally agree with that. Totally agree. And it kind of, um, yeah, it kind of filters into like the, the levels of love. And I don't know if you've ever heard, heard of this before, but there's um, four levels of love. And number one is this thing of, um, you know, uh, people who just tend to take. So they can receive love, but they're unable to give it. And you've got like the narcissists, alcoholics, you know, those kind of people who are so self-absorbed, they're unable to be able to empathize or think of other people. Then you've got um, transactional love. I will do this if you do that. So you end up hearing like, um, for example, a lot of couples can end up falling into this into this um, habit of, well, if, um, uh, if I do this, you do that. Um, you do the dishwasher tonight because I've already done this or whatever it might be. And it becomes into this like transactional battle. Yeah. Then you have um, unconditional love where it's being able to just give love because you want to be able to do it. And then I can't remember what the last one's called, but it's kind of like 
the guru love. It's kind of like Tony Robbins, Mother Teresa, you know, people are able to love everyone and anything and it doesn't really matter what they've done or what the story is or anything like that. So I'd love to hear how many people, you know, how people get to that. But yeah, (laughs) if you get to level three, you're doing good. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of like going a little bit into into that, you know, you know, I think a lot of that depends on where you're at as well in your journey and also the people that you're dealing with as well, because you don't want to be able to put someone first who doesn't have your best interests at heart as well. So, um, you know, for example, if you're constantly putting a narcissist first, well, that's just going to be the energy vampire that's just going to suck you dry. Um, uh, You know, you don't want to be like this transactional person, but sometimes you have to think about your boundaries and the way that you look after yourself. So, um, yeah, I know what you mean with the absolute things. There's always some sort of gray area. (laughs) There's always gray area. I, I like I like life in the middle. The middle is good. Do you know what? That was something I always struggled with before getting into um, into personal development. I was so like, you know, black or white. It's either good or bad. And all of a sudden realizing, whoa, there's, there's a middle bit. <laughs> that was freaking eye opening for me. And I think one thing that really opened that up for me was um, something that Chase said. And it's around see the suffering first. So it's almost like whatever situation you, you're in, if you're struggling with a situation or struggling to see the black or white, it's kind of understanding like what's the suffering that's had to, ha- that had to happen for this scenario to take place or for this person to act in this way. Yeah. And it seriously helps with the whole like seeing things in a whole different view and the level of compassion that you can give a situation. Yeah. And I would even go to so far as to say apply that to yourself. Right. Because sometimes I think we maybe overlook just how traumatic things really are in our lives. We we deal with them. And in the moment, they might feel traumatic. But as we get further away from them, they are less traumatic. They just kind of become something we dealt with. But we don't understand the deep emotional scars that that's actually left on us. Um, So, for example, if we kind of fast forward into your story a little bit. Now, this may or may not have happened to you, but I know this is a common scenario Mm. where even once you've kind of learned all this stuff, you realize what's going on, you're in a better place. There's still that moment when you got into that better relationship where your guard is up just a little bit, where like you start to question if all the stuff that you've learned is actually going to work. Is this really going to be the one? Mm -hmm. And that all comes from those emotional scars of those past relationships. Yeah. Do you know the funny thing is actually... If it's sort of going back, so before I did all the work, um, and I went into my first relationship after after the the police officer, my guard was completely up to the point where if I went into you know the the the, the new guy's flat, it would be like looking at okay, how's the door chained? Where's the keys? If I need to get out, how do I get out? You know, that's kind of where the mindset was. But I must admit, with the partner that I have now, um, uh, I didn't really go through any of that, which was beautiful. And the reason I think that is, <laughs> was, uh, did it, obviously did like a crazy amount of training with Chase, but I could see the truth. Yeah. And it was one of the first 
it was one of the first times where I could actually fully um, uh, be human with someone. And I know it's like a really interesting thing to say, be human with someone. But when you've got someone who is basically saying that they've got your best interests at heart and they really love you and you can see through their body language that they're being completely open, completely truthful. And not only are they saying that and you can see that they're being true through their body language. I mean, we're talking about reading body language better than a polygraph machine. <laughs> so there's no escaping from telling the truth. But the other element is as well, also seeing the actions back up the words. And I don't think like I have ever been through something so powerful in my life before. Like I remember the first time he said the words, I love you. And like literally I can feel like goosebumps just like like going off my arms even after all this time. I can see you like <laughs> lighting up right now as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, wow, this is kind of like real. He's actually meaning this. He's actually being truthful to this. And it just felt like I could just breathe. That's like the best thing I can kind of say. And I like being in that place, it's almost like it's quite funny, actually. We were having this conversation the other day. We were, like, saying, okay, what is, what's love in a relationship? And the term that we kind of agreed, <laughs> we both agreed on, was it's creating an emotional sanctuary where we can both um, come back to knowing no matter what's happening, whether it's an argument or anything external happening or whatever's going on, that we know we're safe, we're secure, and we're loved. And yeah, I think that is like the difference between that, you know, the conditional love where it's like, oh, I'll love you if you're good to me yeah, versus yeah. I'm, I love you. I am with you no matter what. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever <laughs> explain that in research fully, but it feels freaking amazing. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, um, you know. I shared with you that when I was launching the podcast, my mom had came to live with us and mm. after she had to have heart surgery and, you know, anyone who's ever had a parent come live with them for any period of time knows how stressful that can be, especially on a marriage. Yeah. And, you know, my wife, she's had things with her parents in the past and we've always just supported each other. It's never been like an issue. It's never been any questions asked. There's no begging or pleading or anything like that. It's just this unconditional support. Yes. And I think the moment that I kind of realized what you're describing is when the person says to you, Hey, I appreciate you doing this for me. And your thoughts is not, well, yeah, you know, I did that because you did this or this, like there wasn't some like sense of obligation, like, Oh, I had to do it or whatever. It was this genuine idea of what else would I even do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, just, and you're right. It's like, it's the best feeling. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah. Cause it just sounds like you've hit that beautiful, like unconditional love space which I don't think many people genuinely have in their relationships because even when I turn around to, you know, people I speak to, it's like, okay, look around. How many people have the relationship that you would actually desire? Yeah. I think a lot of people are stuck in that conditional place. So I think it's freaking awesome that you found that unconditional, 
euphoric <laughs> kind of love, which is freaking amazing. <laughs> it is. I like the fact that you just pointed out something else too, that everyone has people around them mm. who they're in relationships that might look like healthy relationships from afar, but they're really not. Mm. But if that's what you're surrounded by, you think that's normal. So the interesting thing with, with relationships, what I had to learn with that narcissistic relationships, because uh, I remember thinking like, um, you know, why did I end up in a narcissistic relationship or a bad relationship? It doesn't matter if it's narcissistic or just unhealthy or wrong or whatever. But it made me wonder, okay, why did I end up in those type of relationships? I had a great childhood, great IQ, you know, all these different things. And there's a few different elements at play. So number one, and the main one, like I'd say, has about 70% of influence in our relationships, is our childhood and our identity as we grow up as a child. Because between the ages of zero and seven, that's where we actually create our identity. It's the way that we get, um, we teach people sorry, where we learn how we get treated by people, the way that we interact with the world and the reality that we create. So, um, for example, and this this actually influences relationships, business, careers, success. Um, and it's something called motivational intelligence, which is actually behind the reason people are successful or not. And it's simple. You know, it's about the level of parenting that goes into building that child up. So, for example, if that child spilt a glass of milk or something like that, and that parent goes, oh, what have you done? Oh, you silly thing. Whoa, you know, it's this big ordeal. All of a sudden, this child's in a, in a dialogue going, oh, I'm so stupid. I spilled this. I'm always doing that. And it creates that identity. So we kind of automatically got a victim identity. We've got um, the, the vagal nervous system like tripping at the moment, in that moment, which yeah. means that they're not able to be a problem solver in that. Because when we're in a in a trauma state, our focus is to stay safe rather than being able to think big and to be able to solve issues. And, um, it, you know, we, we create that identity of, OK, well, I've, I need to be the person who knocks over stuff, does things wrong all the time because that's my place within society or relationships versus you know you knock a glass of milk over or whatever as a kid and the parents go oh whoopsie daisy never mind let's go and get another glass right we'll just move it further back just a little bit so you can't knock it again never mind we'll just clean it up and it's a completely different thing so even this has a huge impact on the success of someone so when we think of roles there's things like the victim where, um, you know, if a child knocks over, you know, knocks over a glass or they hurt their knee, they need that reassurance, there's that big, you know, massive thing of, oh, you've done something wrong, okay, and, and you know, babying them and all the rest of it. So they end up being babied as a, as, a, as adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whether that's a work scenario and you hear them telling like a Jeremy Kyle kind of or Jerry Springer kind of story <laughs> in the office or um, you have them going into bad relationships, or you have people like the people pleaser. So the child who tries to please their, their parents all the time. Um, and they end up going into careers where they have to go and people please to go and get that attention. So we usually have a lot of people who tend to be um, nurses who are people pleasers because they yeah. love to be able to care and look after people because that's the way that they give and receive love. 
Right, and right. again, when they go into relationships, they can end up going into relationships where it's constantly being taken um, and taken for granted. So it's like all these different things from childhood that can influence these type of relationships and the relationships that people enter. Interesting. You you probably just made a lot of parents out there like, what do I do? What do I do when the kid knocks the milk over? I don't know what to do now. Do you know what the beauty? Do you know what the beauty is? Like, um, I remember like a, it was a friend of mine who's a coach. He literally put a post on Facebook recently around um, the best thing you can do for your child when the, you know when they turn eighteen is have an investment investment fund for a therapist i'm thinking yes true, because it doesn't matter what you do as a parent you're still gonna muck up somehow but what i can say is in terms of identity build them up to be a problem solver yeah and um and also just give love unconditionally because when we give it conditionally of like oh you've done a good thing cool i'm gonna give you this attention and give you this love and give you this praise you know, that's what they're going to be seeking in their jobs, the careers, relationships, and everything. So I want to go back to your story really quick for, for a minute or two here. You talked about, you know, the first set of skills that you wanted to develop was taking all these courses. Mm-hmm. And obviously the action for that was, you know, the studying, the the late nights, doing all the things you had to do, working with the sling on and everything else, <laughs> right? That, that was your action. That was your commitment to building those skills. And I think something a lot of people maybe overlook when they're looking at a framework like this, they think the framework is supposed to be this one-time thing, right? Like, no, 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 no. You, you get to the vision, you realize that wasn't quite it. You come up with a new vision, new skills, new actions. You keep doing the process over and over until you <laughs> eventually get where you really want to be, right? So for you, once you get into this relationship that you're in now and your healthy relationship, were there new skills that you actually had to learn once you were inside that relationship? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was all, it was beautiful. It was rainbows, butterflies, and lollipops. (laughs) No, it's, it's always like, you know, um... You know, when you have like, you think you've climbed the whole mountain and you realize you're only at base camp. It's kind of like, that's how I see personal development. It's like you're constantly going to the next camp. You know, you reach the summit when you're dead. You know, it's kind of that kind of journey. Yeah. And um, so when we entered a relationship, luckily we're like super self-aware, both into, you know, psychology, body language, um, profiling, all these different things. So the first, oh gosh, this is so funny. Like the first year of our relationship, it was almost like if we ever had a disagreement, it was the first relationship actually, every time we had a disagreement, we, we would actually end up being stronger in our relationship than weaker, which was super, like, super new to me because before it was like, oh, yeah, go to bed angry and all these different things. And it's like, ugh. Um, but we ended up having conversations to the point where it's like, okay, have the argument you know which is a complete freaking mess then there would be like the coach perspective of that argument so we'll come back together have a sit down right okay so so what did we notice about this thing so we're almost dissecting it from this level of a coach then it was like okay the behavioral profiling literally going through okay what were the needs what were the fears of that conversation then it was like um you know reading into the body language and then it was like okay well 
what's the outcome and what's the best way to move forward in those scenarios? What could we have done better? What could we, uh, what did we both need? And it was like dissecting this thing into something that was just absolutely insane. But funnily enough, it's now the body of my research when it comes to developing and creating healthy relationships. So <laughs> it's been, you know, we're constantly learning. We never had everything yeah. 110% figured out. But uh, we can definitely get the majority of it figured out. And one thing that I had to really learn and understand, I think, and this is what I kind of created, like, in terms of the four C's framework of a healthy relationship, and that's compatibility, consideration, communication. Probably the most important one and the hardest one to get right is collaboration. And the reason I say collaboration is the hardest one to get right is because you've got two individuals who need to be accountable for themselves, their emotions, their actions, their lives, their independence, their happiness, all these different things before they're actually in a place to be able to collaborate with. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because each individual, their strengths, individual strengths and individual weaknesses will be the strengths and weaknesses of the relationship. Yeah. So if you've got one that's not great at finances, guess what impacts the relationship? <laughs> if you've got yeah. one that's, you know, highly emotional and all over the place, I won't tell you which one that is out of me and my partner. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that will actually damage, you know, the relationship. So that would be the weakness in the relationship. So yeah. it's being that accountable for your own, you know, your own um, actions, words, emotions, all these different things. So you're able to be in that place to collaborate and build the relationship because if you've got someone who, I don't know, say you've got a niggle in the relationship, like, oh, I really dislike it when you call me X, Y, Z, or there's this thing going wrong or whatever it might be, and the person goes, what are you talking about? You've got no way to be able to collaborate. Um, and also, if you've got a person who can't look after themselves completely as an individual before they even come to the relationship, that's only going to bleed the relationship dry. There's going to be no respect there. And also, there's going to be a lack of, um, equ- you know, being equals in the relationship. So when you have two people who aren't equals in a relationship, rather than having um, an awesome you know, partnership with great chemistry and and passion. You have a parent-child relationship, whereas a person feels like they need to be responsible for the whole relationship, which ends up in a codependent pattern. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of quite a good tangent. (laughs) So the short answer is yes, you end up learning lots afterwards. (laughs) It's interesting, too. You, you You hit on something that I think a lot of people especially people who are are the givers they they struggle with because initially they're doing things out of love and so they actually think it's kind of cute that the other person needs them to do stuff right but then at some point you start to feel like it's transactional like now there's an expectation that you do it. And now it's no longer something you're doing because you want to. It's now something that's expected of you from the other person. Yeah. And you're not able to sit back and be like, I created this situation. <laughs> Instead, you just get mad at the person for never being able to do anything on their own. And now you end up with a resentment. 
Yeah. And do you know what? That's happened too. Like, you know, that's a genuine thing that comes up in so many more, so many relationships. And I think it's even been highlighted to a lot of people through um, COVID and lockdown in particular. The amount of breakups and, and things I've seen over COVID has been horrendous. And it's because of this main thing. And, and the thing that we need from people in order to stop going into that place where we take someone for granted is space. But what we tend to do, especially when we're stuck in a building with someone, <laughs> is instead of going, okay, having space, having individual time, it's, hey, do you love me? Hey, I'm going to do this for you. And it's like this, this clinginess rather than this you know, ability to have space, which creates desire, which creates appreciation. And those things really help to keep that relationship moving in a positive direction. Yeah. And I know we all speak, you know, different love languages. So if you're a giver and the other person, that's not their thing. Their thing is like something else altogether. Mm. They don't appreciate your giving because that's not their language. And they're trying to give you whatever their language is, the way they communicate love, but you're not appreciating it because you want them to give. (laughs) And so it's this situation where like people aren't communicating. That's it goes back to what you said. The communication of that is so important. If you don't collaborate and get on the same page and understand each other's needs, it's it's not going to work. Yeah. I think one thing that um, my partner and I sort of introduced was, you know, a weekly review, as cringeworthy as it sounds, but it's freaking awesome because you kind of go through together the things that you've appreciated the most about that week from each other, things that you feel like you can improve on, and the things that you're looking forward to on the following week. And also what it helps you do is it helps you to plan that quality time. Because, um, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, and it's so easy to put ourselves at the bottom of the heap of everything. And when we put ourselves at the bottom of the heap, it usually means that we put our relationships at the bottom of the heap too. So real quick, I know we did promise people earlier that you were going to talk to them about how to get a free download from you. Uh, Mm -hmm. So first of all, tell us a little bit about the download itself. Like what, what are they actually going to get when they, when they download this and and then maybe give us a sneak peek, give us one or two of those red flags that people need to look out for too. Love that. Yes. So this guide, it's, 15 pages, like I put so much into this that you're going to get so much out of it. So it's 15 pages that goes into my exact tactics on how to go ahead and meet the one who you're going to be compatible with to have a long lasting relationship. So that's whether you want to meet them online or meet them offline. So you go through the compatibility matrix, which helps you to have that long term relationship. But the other thing that I've put in there is the red flags that you need to look out for to avoid the wrong ones. So a couple of those red flags, because there's seven in there, so if you want to check them all out, you need to go and download the guide. Um, But the two main ones that can be really, really good to look out for is look out for something called the lack of empathy. Now, empathy is what we actually express on our face, for example. So if we feel sad, we're going to look sad. If we feel happy, we're going to look happy. So look out for that empathy within people's pictures, within people's when they um, when they have a conversation with you. Um, and also if there's not a genuine, um, if there's not genuine empathy. So the way we know if empathy is genuine or not 
is that the motion will actually slowly slip off the face versus slip off the face really quickly. So for example, something that's not genuine is if you see uh, someone that you don't like at a party and they look at you and you smile and you wave, and then as soon as they turn their head, they're like, oh, thank God for that. You know, they're not looking at me. That drop off the face shows that it's disingenuine. So narcissists tend to show disingenuine emotions. Um, and then the other one, which is super important, and this was taking, taken from some research from a guy called Gavin Dubecker, who was head of security for the White House, and he knew lots about different um, toxic personality types. And it's really simple. It's watch out for the person who can't take no for an answer. So if, the, if it's something like, um, you know, you turn around and say, I can't go on a date tonight, and they say, no, I still want to see you. If they can't respect your decision or, you know, the fact that you've turned around and said, I can't go on a date or whatever it might be, that's a huge red flag. So watch out for the person who can't take no for an answer. And then for the other five, where well, you're going to have to download the guide to go and check out the rest. And there, and there's your ethical um, manipulation. <laughs> I know it's juicy, so it's definitely worth it. <laughs> so I'm going to go and put this on the screen for those who are actually watching on YouTube. Um, but for those who might be listening, it will be in the show notes. But if you want to go ahead and just tell them what the website is also. Of course I can. So it's Love with Intelligence. And the guide is at lovewithintelligence.com forward slash meet. Is it hyphen those little things? Meet yes. hyphen the hyphen one. There we go. <laughs> hyphen dash. I don't know. Whatever it is. The little, little just, yeah, line thing. <laughs> there's, there's a line that comes midway between the words. That's that's, that's what we're describing. <laughs> Whatever those are called. It gets technical at like half ten at night here. <laughs> we... We we have we have someone who speaks the the Queen's English and someone who speaks American English, and neither one of us know what to call this. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. it's a little like horizontal line. There we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Oh, so, Lily, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story with us. If someone wants to contact you other than downloading the free guide what's the best way for them to do that yeah um so check out the website so that has my email address there or you can contact me directly and that's lily so that's l-i-l-i-y dot walford which is w-a-l-f-o-r-d at lovewithintelligence.com all right and i will also include it in the show notes that way people can find that as well So thank you again for coming on and just a reminder for everyone that you are not made to be average. You are made to be more. So go out and be unshakable. Thanks for listening to the Unshakable Habits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please subscribe at unshakablehabits.com slash YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. You can learn more about Unshakable Habits at unshakablehabits.com. Until next week, be unshakable, my friends.